to watch challenge on each episode we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you find listeners as well my name is aaron spears and i'm mike went this episode listener suggested challenge is midnight movies and it was submitted by james s and james gave us a, a list that you know we'll talk about in just a few minutes but but boy aaron this is i think for both of us it's it's in our wheelhouse. <laughs> this yeah. is something that we are we are definitely drawn to as uh, movie lovers and and watchers. Yeah, I wrote in my uh, notes when I started brainstorming. I was like, oh, this is definitely a part one topic because uh, <laughs> yeah. this is one that we'll need revisited um, probably a, a few times. I guess the starting point, Mike, is like, do you remember like literally like your first midnight movie, like going to see a movie? So maybe we need to define that first, should we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Because this, to me, I really hadn't thought about it before James suggested this, but in my head, I do have a delineation of like cult film, midnight movie. You know, like, there's these are all different genres in my head, and I really hadn't kind of articulated it ahead of James submitting this topic. Yeah, I uh, like. I will always uh, associate um, certain like midnight movie, cult movie. I think. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Like, you know, that that's like I, I think at least around here in the Cleveland area, it's like a rite of passage. Uh, you know, you have to go at least once uh-huh. uh in your in your life to the Cedarly to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, the first Saturday of <laughs> of the month. Of any month, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that it, it's just and basically what what we mean by, or what I mean by that is like you have a, a mix of young, old, uh, scantily clad, fully clothed. <laughs> Costumed. Uh, you know, yes. And it's like multicultural. It, it's everything. Yeah. And, you know, you're you're collectively watching this movie, you know, yelling at the screen, throwing things and singing along and, and just having a good time. And uh, I, I think that kind of encompass, encompasses what what it means to to enjoy going to a midnight movie. It's it's like a gathering of friends, seeing something you might have seen many times over, mm-hmm. but it still always feels fresh and unique when you when you get that collective group to see it. Yes. So are you saying um, theatrical experience for this? I, yeah, I would say so, but also, I mean, you it, it can also, you know, I know we're we're in the beginning of school year, so like you can easily equate this to uh, friends in a, you know, like maybe newly formed, uh, forced friendships when you when you move into like a college dorm or something. Oh, like, sure, yeah, yeah. And then you know you you start to like figure out quickly who who matches your personality type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and and sometimes like you'll have maybe a an RA or something suggest watching a movie together, and like I think you you quickly kind of figure who those are those are your people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, the Statler and Waldorf's in the back of the room <laughs> or something. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 
for sure. No, I, I definitely had in my notes too, like the, the, the going with your crew at midnight to a theater and experiencing that. Um, ideally with, you know, a packed auditorium, you don't want to just go with like four other people. Like you right. want this, you want the big collective experience with that. Um, but that said, you made a comment at the end of the last episode about midnight movies that I, I took to heart too. Cause I was like, Oh no, I, I have very specific titles that fit what you're saying. And you said kind of what you're saying with, with, you know, moving into college or just a group situation of watching it. But like those ones that you pass around with your friends, like, Oh shit, you got to watch this. Oh, or yes. you got to sit down right now and watch this with me. Or, you know, in the group there, that one that you're compelled to, you got to share it. Like, and you don't want to spoil it necessarily. You want to like, oh, no, no, we got to experience this together. Like we need to all share this right now. Um, So I kind of took that to heart too. And a little bit more with my list was um, I have um, some aspirations. Like uh, I I haven't seen my main pick. I have not seen in a theatrical setting, but oh my God, I want to see this in a theatrical setting uh, with a group because I just think it's dynamite, which um, brought me around to a point that I think I need to have if to c- consider it a midnight movie that's a little different than a cult movie. And that is, uh, this is very vague sounding, but like a kick-ass ending. Like yes. it doesn't have to be like a reveal, like, um, you know, a Hitchcockian thriller or an M. Night Shyamalan, like, what? That's what was going on this whole time? <laughs> um, but like, and I didn't pick this one, and I, I'm debating if it's in one of these categories, but like Blair Witch Project. Like oh, that yeah. ending, it's done and you're just like, what? And you all just look at each other like, what did we just experience? Like, I want that vibe at the end. Yeah. Well, it, it, you're right, though. It, it, I think the thing with that, it, and this is maybe a side topic, but it was the marketing of that film made it seem oh, yeah. real. Like, yeah. like they, they made you convince or made you convinced that this was a real incident that happened and that, mm-hmm. that this footage just happened to be found and there was the whole sci-fi channel uh special yep. that, that added to the allure and that that's what made that thing such a cultural phenomenon right i um that you know i i'll admit i was not 17 but i i was 16 i snuck into that movie <laughs> <theater>. <laughs> yep. i had to see this because it was like everything like everybody was talking about. yeah and then you're in your car heading to maryland as soon as those credits hit because you gotta <laughs> <laughs> gotta yeah. go to those woods but maybe maybe not maybe not that type of ending like on a culturally impactful like that's that's a that's a rare bird of a of a movie but like that you know what i mean by that ending though like it's gotta like everybody just looks around and is just like what the yeah holy cow and then you just you're compelled to talk about it or like i said you're compelled to share it um as well absolutely so with our kind of defined uh midnight movie out of the way do you have like a memory like first midnight movie i think probably my first was going to rocky horror which i know is maybe it's a cliche at this point but (laughs) no uh, but you know i was i had not much not much like knowledge of it, only just knowing the time warp song mm-hmm. and just the image of Tim Curry. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and because, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to, I think it was like my senior year of high school. Okay. I was, I was a drama, drama kid. Same so, here. <laughs> and it's, it's like one of those things that like, you know, I think one of the weekends where we didn't have like play rehearsal or, or something like that. Yeah. It's like we should go do this, and it was, it was a blast. And, oh yeah, you know, I think that really kind of instilled some of the the love for, for having those those shared experiences like that. Um, 
So since you went first, I'm going to cheat a little bit. My first was also Rocky Horror Picture Show. I feel like we can just say like, okay, Midnight Movies category for this podcast, the GOAT is Rocky Horror. Like yeah. it's just there. It's yeah. in gold. That is the one. Um, and I did the same thing. It was, I think it was uh, the weekend before our our first uh, performance of a play. A good chunk of the cast was like, we're going up to Rocky Horror because we got dress yeah. rehearsals next weekend, like this Friday or this Saturday night, you know, we're going. Um, so we did that as a pilgrimage uh, and it was amazing. It sticks with me. I did have a theater when I was in college. I went down to Wright State University in Dayton, and there was a theater that was there at the time called Page Manor that was like a dollar theater, but they yeah. had a midnight, like a calendar that came out, kind of like the Cinematheque does up here in Cleveland, and they showed midnight movies. I want to say it, my memory's probably not that good at this point for that era of my life, but I feel like it was every weekend. So like every Friday night at midnight, we were down there watching whatever. Like it was on the calendar. We never heard of it. I don't give a shit. Like that's sure. how I just walked into <laughs> evil, not... um. I almost said Evil Dead. That's how I walked into Dead Alive. Like, I don't know, it's a midnight movie. Let's go see it. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is this movie? Um, <laughs> but they showed the the welcoming week when all the freshmen um, got down there, they showed Days to Confuse. And so we went oh, down and watched Days to Confuse. Yeah. And it was just, it was teenagers running this theater. Like, they didn't give a shit. People were smoking weed and drinking in the theater. People were playing air <laughs> guitar in front of the theater uh, or in front of the screen when, like, the sweet emotion kicks on in the beginning. Yes. Like, it was just one of these, like, I will never experience that again that way, but um, I, I'd seen it ahead of time. Obviously, uh, Days of Confusion sure. was, was a staple uh, in my life by that point in time. But um, that was one of those like that is an experience. Yeah, I you know I, one of those like college things that where um, uh, you know Donnie Darko had came out just a few years before. Yeah, but that was like one of those underground DVD pass along that you know just because it it like basically didn't have much of a theatrical release because it was some of the subject matter. It was released right before or right after, uh, 2001, mm -hmm. uh, or September 11th. So it kind of got buried, but then that was one where it's like, you know, in college, like almost everybody we, we learned had it. And then it was playing one of the times that it was either Cinematheque or Cedarly. And, you know, it was just like, like yes, you know, getting to see it in its in its theatrical form. Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping ahead to to certain pick pick kind of things, but I don't know. Just there's so many great experiences. Yeah, of, yeah. Of experiencing some of these movies in their theatrical form. Yeah. No, I mean, like with Rocky Horror, as like we said, that's the goat. That's up there. Uh, that counts. So Daisy Confused was an early one for me. You're going with Donnie Darko. Yeah. So yeah. Donnie. Um. So. Before we do, no, actually, this kind of ties in with honorable mentions. We wanted to do, we, you know, we do our honorable mentions, a couple picks each, then we do our official picks. Um, but since James took the time to put together a list and send to us of what he considers to be midnight movies, we wanted to each take just a moment to be like, let's pick something off of his list and be like, okay, yeah, that's one that um, I'm including in, in my honorable mentions uh, for this particular one. I'm going to go with, and we'll link to James's list. Uh, it's a public list he made on Letterboxd. It links in the show notes if you want to check out his list there. Um, I'm going to go with the 1972 uh, Ralph Bakshi, Fritz the Cat. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever seen that one, Mike. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have never watched this one with sober eyes. I'll just put that out there. But it is definitely, it hits all of the buttons, including some like, you know, hyper offensive buttons as well. That we all just we just sort of talked about um, the the thing on Letterbox. The description for it is a swinging, hypocritical college student cat raises hell in a satirical version of the 1960s. And I believe this also was a rated X film when it came out. Um, I actually have the DVD 
around the corner from where I'm recording right now. I don't remember how it's labeled on the DVD there, but it's one of those on my shelf because I also have two two children living in the house. Um, I don't have it spine out because I don't want them just like, oh, what's this one? <laughs> so it's it's in backwards, but I know where it's at on that one. But that one um, is definitely one of those. If you just watch it by yourself, you're going to be looking around like, I need to experience this with somebody. Like this can't just be a solo yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll have to go with. Uh with uh 2003's the room it is uh anybody who knows me knows i i absolutely adore that film oh yeah um i was i was at the first public screening of that uh here in cleveland where there was probably about 10 of us um and uh you know then it started to grow from there Mm -hmm. each each month there were more people started to bring more um I, you know, it's one of those things when you look on the letterbox and if you've never heard of the room, I'll, I'll give a quick, you know, Johnny is a successful banker with great respect and dedication to the people's life, especially his future wife, Lisa, the happy go lucky guy sees his world fall apart when his uh, friends begin to betray him one by one. Um, That's the description for that movie. Yes. I've never looked that up. I also I've seen that movie countless times. I did not remember that he's a banker. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, and it, it to show the the disparity of of uh, the views on this movie, where it looks like the letterbox ratings are you have a bunch of fives, and then you have an almost equal number of ones. You know, there there's not a lot of in between. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but uh, so it on a lot of levels, yes, it is. Is it a bad film? Probably. Um, but, Indubitably. Uh, I, yes. <laughs> but I just I just really adore it. I yeah. there there's certain lines I always look forward to. And I unfortunately missed it when it uh, got played recently. They you know, this the Cedar Lee had brought it mm-hmm. back. But uh, uh, I will hopefully be at the next one. Since you brought it up, I got to ask, because um, I'm one of the people on Letterboxd. I gave it one star, but a heart, because I love the movie. <laughs> Were you a five star and a heart? Or... Oh, five, five. Okay, okay. Five out of five. Fair yeah. enough, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but watching it by myself is not as Mm-mm. fun. Nope. Than... Not at all. Mike, before I ask you about your honorable mentions, I wanted to yeah. mention a quick documentary because we've done that before. And we did like Ozploitation and Blaxploitation. Oh, Every yeah. once in a while, there's documentaries that cover the topic that we have for the show. And there's one that I ran across that is on Canopy. It's actually a three-part one. Um, I didn't look at the running time, maybe like an hour each. Maybe it's feature length. It's called Time Warp. And mm-hmm. part one is called Midnight Movies. Um, it's free on Canopy. I think it might even be on on YouTube as well. But um, it's just a full, it covers even like, you know, coffee, Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, the harder they become. Um, kind of what we're talking about is like this midnight experience, uh, El Topo, that sort of stuff. So there is a documentary yeah. out there if you want one of those great kind of like introductory to the topic and give you a, a pretty sizable list of movies to go find. Um, oh Time Warp uh, is out there and part one is specifically midnight movies. So I love it. I just want to <laughs> throw that out there. But uh, Mike, what, what have you got for, for honorable mentions uh, for midnight movies? So um, I, I know like uh, many of the midnight movies are, you know, probably, you know, y- you could consider 70s or, or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, kind of went with some from from the 90s. But uh, Troll 2 is one of my uh, is one of my honorable mentions. It is a uh, very fun, very stupid <laughs> movie, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's one of those. it's another one that that's, uh, you know, that just 
you know, makes me laugh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and essentially it's, you know, about a family that goes to this town that's called Nilbog. Um, and uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I forgot some of these details. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they start, uh, you know, slowly the, the family one by one starts to uh, turn into this, uh, you know, they, they start turning into these trees and, uh, <laughs> and there is this like special, there's a special milk and everything. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, once again, I'm not explaining it super great, but uh, it is, um, it's very fun and, and it's a quick movie. Actually, I, I think it's like under 90 minutes, but uh, it's, uh, it's only heightened if you uh, partner it with the, uh, the documentary called Best Worst Movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, was made by the, the young child actor who, thought he was getting his big break in the film industry and for years was mortified for being in this, this really terrible uh, <laughs> low budget movie, which has nothing to do with the first troll, which uh, stars uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. Oh, really? Uh, one of her first roles. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not connected. And then <laughs> there's even a, a third movie that uh, I had seen which is uh, it's like a sequel to Troll Two. It was a German language film, but dubbed into the U.S. And that one's it, it's not even that connected either. It's, <laughs> it's even worse. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the, the 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 Troll Two lure canon is uh, yeah is a ride to take if you want it. <laughs> and apparently, anybody can just grab the mantle and do a Troll Four at any point <laughs> if they want to as well. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I forgot about that one. That's a that is um I, I actually did get to see that one in a theater and that was a an absolute riot um <laughs> in the theater. Um I have one uh honorable mention. Actually kind of in my head both my honorable mentions. Um I really I really enjoyed James's list a lot and I thought I'm going to put together a couple honorable mentions to submit to him that like I think these could be on the list. Sure. Um based on kind of how we've been describing them. Um one of them I have not seen in the theater and one of them I have seen in the theater. So I can tell you that one of them works. The one that I have not seen in the theater that I'm not sure anybody would agree with me that works, but is very near and dear to my heart because I watched this endlessly on VHS when I was a kid is Hudson Hawk from 1991. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello are cat burglars. Um, Hudson Hawk just gets out of jail. That's Bruce Willis. And instead of setting you know, their, their stopwatches like their Navy SEALs when they rob a place, um, they do the even more subtle trick of singing classic um, kind of like doo-wop songs in their head out loud. Um, because, you know, when you're sneaking around, you really want to be singing, swinging on a star um, so that nobody will know that you're you're robbing them. Um, it's got Sandra Bernhardt and Richard E. Grant as these uh, uber wealthy folks who are trying to steal. Who cares? It's it's an animated movie, but it's live action. Yes, it's it's. Completely wild. Andy McDowell's in there. James Coburn's in there. Uh, David Caruso, if you look closely, is in there. It's it's a bonkers movie. The sound effects clearly tell you that it's it should have been animated, but it's not. Um, it was Bruce Willis at like, I don't know if that's uh, kind of peak powers. This is 91. It's post yeah. Die Hard, post Moonlighting. Like, if he's in your movie, it's getting made. And uh, he also co-wrote this movie. Um, I think... If we look at the timeline, I don't know when the return of Bruno, the album, 
of music that Bruce Willis put out. It's got to be in this vein because he is singing his ass off in this movie. Like he really oh, yeah. wanted to sing. Yeah. Um, oftentimes on the, the, the 80s serious channel, um, Respect Yourself by oh. um, Bruce Willis. Bruce, come yeah. On. You know, that, that's like a, a pull down the windows and just, you know, crank up the volume. Yeah. Sing along. <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I think um, Hudson Hawk is definitely – um, so bad it's funny. Actually, I don't even think it's badly made. It's just the tone is so weird that people, yeah. you just be scratching your head and looking at your friends like sitting in the theater. I think because it's a comedy and it leans heavily into um, cartoon antics, I guess I would say, that yeah. it would go over great with a crowd. I don't know how you'd get a crowd together in a theater to watch this because it's a kind of a hard sell, but um, I think it's a laugh riot. Um, I think if... <laughs> You know, cool as ice works, as you mentioned on our previous episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in a crowd in a theater. Hudson Hawk does too. Maybe make it a free screening just so people will come out and have some fun. But it's it's definitely one of those that's kind of got that what the fuck vibe uh to yeah. it. But also, um, you know, with a crowd in a theater, you're gonna have yourself a really, really good time. <laughs> and at the end you're just gonna be like, Oh, what the hell did we just watch? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you have any other uh, honorable mentions, Mike? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go uh, with a Basket Case. Um, so this is a uh, a little, you know, a horror film, kind of a weird oddity, uh, and it's definitely in the kind of in the vein of like the underground New York uh, films, where uh, this man has a a twin brother that uh, lives in a basically he he's like a a conjoined twin, but is in this basket. And, uh, anytime the, the, like, you know, he's like kind of a flattened person, uh, little creature. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the brother is just trying to live his normal life, but, uh, anytime he has a, a, you know, a, a love interest or any, any person that, uh, you know, like a landlord or uh, a coworker that does does the brother wrong, the uh, you know the little guy uh, comes and, uh, and kills him. Uh, but it's by uh, Frank uh, Hennelotter, uh, who did uh, you know he, he did qu- uh, quite a few number of uh, you know kind of B horror films. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's definitely worth the watch, and it's great with a crowd. Um, Last year, the Cinematheque played a, a new 4K restoration of it, and uh, it was it was quite a bit of fun. But uh, I also got to see it with the uh, you know the 12 Hours of Terror. That uh, oh, that's a good way to see it. Yeah, um, and that's like the diehard of the diehard horror fans. But uh, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely um, you know it, it's got it's got everything that you want in that kind of movie. You know, boobs, blood. Um, and a lot of gore. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going for another B word there. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Boobs, I, blood and a basket. I don't know. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> um, I've never seen that one. I'll have to cue that up because we're heading into the Halloween season and that one sounds like a good time. Yes. Okay. This is a wild switch of gears, but my other honorable mention that I, um, that I have for this particular episode is from 1982. Uh, it is Koyana Ooh, which yes. is actually um, a pretty surreal documentary. It's officially a documentary. Um, for those of you who um, haven't heard of it or seen it before, it's K-O-Y, Koyan Scotsi. 
I can't spell the rest of it off the top of my head, but it doesn't start with the Q. It sounds like it should, but it's not. It's K-O-Y. Um, it's Godfrey Reggio's uh, film. He specializes in a certain type of like, I guess I should say trippy documentaries. Yeah. Um, they're gorgeously shot. And Philip Glass, it's actually, let me, sorry. So it's part of a trilogy. Philip Glass does the score to it. Um, and this one is, um, I'm, I'm spacing on the name. I want to say it's like a, a specific Native American word. I don't know what tribe it belongs to. But it, it's, it means like life out of balance. And the whole documentary for Koinoskazi is about like nature and humanity and how uh, humanity tries to replicate nature, how humanity destroys nature, how nature is exploited by humanity, how nature takes back what, so it, what it wants sometimes. Um, it's very much, you know, humanity is, is winning the war that maybe Amy shouldn't be waging against nature. But it's all set to this like trippy Philip Glass score that gets like quicker and there's like uh, angelic uh, choruses singing at some parts. Um, there's grand overhead shots of like these lit up, um, cityscapes. This is 1982. So like early eighties cities that like cross fade with like computer circuit boards and just shows you how yeah. like humans are replicating, uh, all these different patterns in nature. Um, there's one segment that just, sh- I always remember it cross cuts fast motion footage of people coming down subway escalators. And then it cross cuts that with hot dogs being made and how the meat <laughs> tubes shoot down the same time. Like, it's so wild that, um, it's definitely one of those, like, I want to see it. Um, I've seen it on the big screen. There was almost nobody watching it. <laughs> it was maybe like 15 people watching it uh, when I saw it on the big screen. Um, I was living in Columbus at the time. And it's one of those, it's a trippy movie. It's one of those, you know, if you, I mean, I don't, I don't recommend, I think acid would probably freak you out, but, you know, smoke a joint and go watch this movie, you know, and just kind of be like, let it all just wash over you when it's yes. done. You just be like, man, I got some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those are uh, the three of them. I've always seen like the box or the the posters, and I, I I'm, sadly I have not seen them. And I know I need to, uh, just because yeah. it's uh, you know a good friend of mine, uh, Robert Banks, uh, local filmmaker. Who yeah, he just always he's talked about those like countless times <laughs> yeah no it, it they're ones that like once you see the first one they just it sticks with you and he explores different themes in the other ones there's uh koinoskatsi is the first one then pawaskatsi pawakatsi is the second one and then nakokatsi is the last one i'm probably mispronouncing all of those um <laughs> but the more the most recent one um nakokatsi uh, like steven soderberg produced i think it was like uh i can't remember the date but it was more a little bit more modern than 82 um from our perspective right now in 2022 um, but it yeah. looked like humanity and war. And I was just like, it's just, um, it's stuff you'd watch in, in film school. Cause there is like, obviously like an art film kind of level to it, but sure. I don't want to talk anybody out of it. Cause it's just trippy as fuck and, and just a great score. And you'll just be hypnotized for, for an hour and 45 minutes. And then when it's done, you'll just be looking at people around you being like, okay, so we all need to move into the woods. Right. And just, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, do you have any other honorable mentions, Mike, or uh, should we hop into our picks? No, I think I'm ready to hop into it. All right. What have you got for uh, your official watch challenge pick for Midnight Movies? All right. So I went on uh, a couple different lists. I I did, you know, closely look at James's and James had some awesome uh, picks on there that some of them, you know, actually quite a few of them I haven't seen. But I went, I found an IMDb list, which, uh, you know, I'll give you the link, Aaron, if okay. you can include it. But, um, and then I also found a an article that was the top 50 midnight movies of all time. Um, so I went with 
something that I'd never really heard of and, you know, a little obscure. And it's from 1971. It's called The Telephone Book. Hello there. I'd like to talk to you very seriously for a moment about your beautiful tits. What you are about to see can only be described as frank adult entertainment. I just can't tell you how busy I am. I uh, made dirty calls uh, because I'm a creep. It was only a phone call, but it was a work of art. What line of work are you in? Perhaps the greatest tag movie star of all time. Uh, what? Precisely. Does that image suggest to you? State of Maryland. You're really strange. I was able to, to think out my problem and understand why I wanted to call up pretty girls and say, Dickalick. Have you heard of this? I don't think I have. All right. So it is a very unique movie. It okay. was at the time. It was rated X uh, okay. by the uh, Motion Picture Association. And it is. it recently got a... Uh, Released by Vinegar Syndrome, which is one of these, um, you know, they're kind of like rescuers of exploitation movies from, you know, from all decades. But, uh, but you know, especially more um, adult f- flavor, more like horror type films. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically what this is about is you have a, a young woman who very much, I, and I think it's by design, but she very much looks like Goldie Hawn. This like kind of like you know gold or uh, blonde, innocent uh, sounding type mm-hmm. who gets an obscene a call from an, an obscene caller, and um, she's immediately attracted to the man behind this phone call, <laughs> and uh, all he said all he tells her is that his name is John Smith. So of course that 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 leaves a lot of uh, yeah. interpretation. So she starts going down the phone book finding every John Smith and it leads her on this like kind of odyssey like journey where not every John Smith is a good person, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but eventually it, it, it culminates into uh, her and, and John Smith uh, meeting and it, you know, it leads into this psychedelic animated sex scene. Animated you said? Yes. Okay. So, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, I don't want to like. I don't want to spoil a lot, but like you know, most of the movie is shot in black and white, so like stark contrast, black and white. Okay. So then, when it eventually turns to this this culmination scene, that's when it becomes color for the first time. Okay. And then it also goes into this, like I said, this really trippy animated sequence. Um. And uh, some actors who are, you know, who were just getting their start back then are in these like interstitial sequences, which is it almost feels like a documentary at times where it's like people talking about their like, you know, their different kinks and their kind of like sex sexcapades. So you have Jill Claiborne or, or Jill, Jill Claiborne uh, plays a character in the film. Uh, who's just known as Mask? She because ha- she has like one of those like eye masks on most of the time, and then you also see uh, a younger William Hickey, who um, oh, you know he's from uh, Christmas Vacation, uh, you know, <laughs> and and multiple other 
you know, many other films, but, uh, you know, you see a younger him, uh, yeah. in, in one of these like kind of documentary type scenes. It's a very, uh, experimental, but also, but ultimately, uh, kind of kinky. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it really, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, um, I, I would love to see it with a crowd. I mean, I just, it's probably too obscure though, to, to really draw a crowd. But, um, uh, the, the last little bit I will say about it is the, the, the poster and the, the Blu-ray cover of it that Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome put out mm-hmm. has a fair, you know, it, it has this like phone. I mean, it's a very like phallic looking phone and you have the, the, the phone cords that look like balls uh, on the side. But, oh, uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it was definitely, I could see, um, you know, maybe back then, like why people were drawn to it because it it's just kind of outrageous. It's like, but the, you know, the actor who plays John Smith, you never see his face because he's wearing a pig mask. Um, <laughs> by the way, he has this voice that's like, it's, you know, the very soothing, voice but okay. he's saying all these obscene like you know very sexual things to her but uh i i will say it was uh my my wife caught me watching some of it you know like in, the, <laughs> in our bedroom and she was like what the hell are you watching and i was just, i was like just sit down watch a little bit and like she got invested into it so nice. yeah it's a definite it, it's a very interesting movie um, so did you get the, the disc from vinegar syndrome or where did you see it? I did not. Um, I will, I just, I think I might eventually buy it. Um, you know, I think the, uh, uh cinema wasteland's coming up. So maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll yeah. just buy from them directly. Yeah. But, um, it, uh, I basically found it on a site that, uh, that showcases like, hard to find films or something. Oh, like gotcha. That. Okay. And I don't even, I mean, it was kind of glitchy and buggy. It kept like doing these pop-ups, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was the best way to, for me to watch it. Right. <laughs> I think as collectors too, sometimes we're just like, I can't find it. Well, now I have to find it. And then however yes. you find it, you're just like, okay, but I'm, I'm going through this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So- what did you end up picking? So I went with, uh, actually, that's interesting. I'm in the seventies as well. So I was doing the same thing, poking around midnight movies, this and that. And I ran across a few, which I maybe, you know, I'll save for midnight movies part two, maybe. But I was kind of looking at people that I follow on Letterboxd to see what kind of ratings there were. And when I found this one, I, I, I'd meant to see in it. I've meant to see in it for a long time. I remember what the VHS cover looked like. And when I checked on Letterboxd, most of the people I follow, it was like three and a half or better. So I was like, okay, okay. I feel like I'm in good territory here. So mine is from 1975. It's directed by L.Q. Jones, uh, which probably is not familiar to anybody because this is one movie he directed. Um, It's A Boy and His Dog. Magnificently inspired, Richard Eder of the New York Times says, brilliantly grotesque. The Austin Sun, this may be the best science fiction film ever made. A Boy and His Dog. A film that has become a cult legend. Right now I'm hungry and I want to get laid. 
that's what you always say. You go find a chicken, I'll hustle us up some food. I can't do good work when I'm hungry. You ain't pulling that crap on me again. And you can shove that part about how you lost the ability to hunt for food when you learned how to talk. No food, no females. After World War IV, your dog will tell you what to do. How to laugh, how to love, how and who to kill. That stupid broad. <laughs> you're so funny when you're sexually frustrated. Damn it. When the hell am I going to nail her in there? Simple. Stop shaking like a leaf and go do it. If you continue to find the food for your dog, he will find you a woman. He is the only one who can. Give him the girl. We stay. Now, you got any helpful suggestions? Yes, pull up your pants, Romeo. Oh, I've heard of this. So... I'd heard of this one. I knew it was set in like a post-apocalyptic wasteland or whatever. And if I remember correctly, the VHS box, even at the video store I used to work at way back when, um, I feel like it was just like a mushroom cloud or something. Yeah. Uh, or some sort of design to it that like it, it didn't, it wasn't just headshots and names of people that are in it. But this movie, um, well, let's, uh, so LQ Jones directed it. It's set in 2024. So... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to be rewatching this movie in 2024 because, yeah. you know, you have to. Um, it's in a post-apocalyptic America. Uh, really, it's a boy and his dog, but it's an 18-year-old. Uh, his name is Vic, played by a very, very young Don Johnson. And again, like that name not featured anywhere on the cover of the VHS box. Not that that would have gotten me to see it like way back when, but I would have been like, oh, there's a known actor here in this one. Um, so that's not really played up too much at all, but it's he and his dog, but his dog is telepathic and can communicate and talk to him. And that's not a spoiler. Like that's the opening scenes. It's, 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 uh, it's right there. Um, the dog doesn't talk to anybody else, but it's also not weird apparently for anybody else in this movie to be like, oh yeah, he's talking to the dog. Like everyone's just like, yeah, okay. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a big deal at all. And it's kind of cut in two where it's he, so there's Vic and Blood, Blood is the name of the dog. So Vic and Blood, boy and his dog, they're just in this post-apocalyptic wasteland, just desert, scrounging environment. And the dog can also sniff out where women are at. So Vic keeps the dog fed so he can sniff out women because he's an 18-year-old boy who wants to get laid all the time because he's an 18-year-old boy. Um, or man, I don't know how we draw the lines there. I guess yeah. that'd be, you know, an adult, but it's, it's a, it's he looks like he's 15. It's a very young, uh, you know, Don Johnson who post apocalyptic is still pretty clean shaven. It's got, I don't think he can grow a beard yet. But this is also supposed to be in World War Four after World War Four. So blood telepathically keeps going over the history. So like the history of 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 the Earth and the the, the World War Three and Four are in his memory, and he's just retelling the human to keep that memory kind of, I guess, an oral telepathic tradition <laughs> alive. And they're eking out an existence. He gets some food. Uh, then the dog helps him get laid. It's, you know, a little cringy, uh, some of those moments in there, because you see how the other scavengers, like, own people. And, you know, they have women, a uh, woman tied up in, like, a pit at this, like, outdoor movie theater. And, like, you clearly know what's going on. This is not consensual um, stuff here. But it's not done in a really exploitative way at all. Sure. Um, it's really kind of fascinating tonally, because it's the most, like happy-go-lucky. The word jaunty kept popping into my head when I heard the music cues in this movie. Because you're like, why is this so like jaunty and kind of happy-go-lucky? Like A boy in his dog can go walking A boy and his dog sometimes talk to each other And then 
he meets uh, Susan Benton, who plays a character named Quilla. He meets her, saves her from like even worse people out there. Um, they do start sleeping together. It's you know, uh, it's not done in an erotic scene at all because they're in like a, an old furnace and the dog is next to them. <laughs> I'm not really selling this very well at all. So she ends up bringing him, um, enticing him back to this underground civilization that she's part of, which is like they call it Topeka, but it's all underground. And we get a Jason Robards in here as like basically the mayor of underground Topeka. So half the movie is above ground and half the movie is below ground. And this movie has an ending that is exactly what we were talking about. I'm, I'm obviously not going to spoil it and you will not see this ending coming. Um, And I'd heard like, Oh my God, the ending. And I was like, okay, okay. And I'm waiting for it. And then like the movie just like, it worked its magic on me. I totally forgot I was waiting for this ending. And then the ending hits and I, I have one of those reactions. And again, I watched this by myself. Where I'm just like, who the fuck can I talk to about this movie? Oh my God. Um, and it's, again, it's not like M. Night Shyamalan or Hitchcockian or anything like that. It's just like, that is the perfect ending. Oh my God. I can't believe it stuck the landing. Oh, it's so good. You sold me. And now I'm hoping in 2024, it's coming up a couple years away. I'm hoping somebody's like, hey, uh, Cinematech just showed Soylent Green this year, set in 2022. Yes. Boy and his dog, 2024. Here's hoping. We'll start. We'll start uh, poking John to. Uh, yeah. Start dropping you know. hints. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really fascinating because it builds a really great post-apocalyptic world. Again, in 1975, it's pre-Mad Max, but it's like, it's that Mad Max, like dusty, dirty, roving bands of marauder, you know, whatever kind of yeah. vibe. Um, very scrappy bit of filmmaking. Um, I do want to mention LQ Jones, the director. We would know him as a very, um, very famous character actor. I think I would put him in character actor territory. 165 acting credits from 55 to 2006. Um, Mike, I think the first one that would come to mind would be he's the dude in the cowboy hat who convinces Robert De Niro and Casino to hire his like idiot nephew. Oh, yes. Yeah. Makes about as much sense as tits on a board. Like, I mean, he's got some like, you know, little folksy cowboy kind of phrase in there. That's LQ <laughs> Jones. He directed this one movie. He just passed away July 9th, 2022. So like just like over a month ago, passed away. Oh. Didn't even hear that he passed away. Like he's just like one of those actors. He's been around forever. He's been in like 50 movies you've seen. TV shows out the wazoo. He directed another movie in 64 called The Devil's Bedroom, which I'm definitely going to find. Yeah. Um, but this is pretty much like his only real known out there um, directing credit. I think uh, that almost sounds like an episode, a future episode, one hit wonder. Director. Ooh, yeah. I'll write that one down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, um, it, it, it uh, yeah. Out of the park, uh, complete success and uh, couldn't highly, uh, couldn't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it's on canopy hoopla. It may have been YouTube. I don't remember, but um it's out there, and well, we got one of each, Mike. We got we got one you found on some sketchy website that hosts obscure films, and this one's out there for free if you have a library card. Well, no, that I'm that's immediately going to one of the top of my list now. Yeah, uh, watch it with somebody. I, I've always heard yeah. of it, but just yeah, yeah, same here. I was like, it wasn't even like floating around near a top of my list, but I said, I'm like, you know what? I have always meant to watch that one. Holy crap! <laughs> what other gold is out there? Right. <laughs> So our official picks for uh, Midnight Movies this round, we've got the Telephone Book from, what was that, Mike? You said 1971? 1971. All right. And we have A Boy and His Dog from 1975. Uh, many, many thanks, James, for the topic. Not just the topic, but also the um, 
the list on Letterbox. Again, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, really, really got the the interest going for me and watched a bunch of movies that I didn't even include to talk about on this episode. So we will definitely be uh, coming back with a uh, part two of Midnight Movies at some point. But uh, Mike, for now, what challenge do we have in front of us for next episode? Up next is going to be Time Travel, which was submitted by Sarah. And we're always taking listener suggestions. Send any genre or topic that you want covered to watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or follow the links in the show notes to hit us up on social media. Sounds good, Mike. I'm uh, looking forward to talking time travel, a uh, favorite genre of mine. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we dig into and uh, come up with. So, until next time, folks, happy viewing. Have a good one.